where you going? No, man, you got the right classroom. Come on in, take a seat beside me, my friend. Hey, look, here come T.A. Charlie. Let's see what he got to say. Morning, you're watching The Road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic. Homeroom is on Rumble. You just go to Rumble and search the channels for The Road to Concord. It's one word. When you find it, you go ahead and click follow. Might mean you got to set up an account, but it's fast, it's easy, it's free. I did it. You can do it. For those technologically challenged members of the class, you can also catch us on Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter, and YouTube. Then you can catch the podcast after the show. It's uploaded to Podbean, iHeartRadio, and Spotify, and hopefully BitChute. Just look for The Road to Concord. You can go to the blog page. That's roadtoconcord.com. That's where you find all your show notes, study notes, and handouts for the class. Finally, you can email a professor at joe at the road to concord.com. He's a little slow, but he'll eventually get around to emailing you back. If you find our classes helpful, please click the thumbs up, like, subscribe, and share it with those you think could benefit from it. Just warn them, Joe is an acquired taste. Wasabi coffee. Hey, we all know T.A. Charlie isn't all there. Now, just stay seated and give it a chance. You soon realize we not might be the smartest. But we each independently form opinions based on reason and logic. We're free thinkers. Let's see what the road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic has on the lesson plan for today. Good morning and welcome. Worship Wednesday. This is part four in our Bible Basics, Bible 101's classes that we've been doing for the last three weeks. Today's the fourth week. This one's going to build on those previous three. But this one here today, what I've got for you today, um, I need to, I need to set the table for you real quick before we get going. This is about basic doctrine, Bible doctrine, basics, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Let's just put that up there for you. So you can look at that. If you're watching the chalkboard, the Bible doctrine in you, I'm going to start off by explaining a few things in this presentation today. This is my understanding of how to under how to read and study and understand and and live the scriptures. What I want to set the table with here is this. Don't be taking notes today. Don't. Not during the show. If you're watching, no note taking. Pay attention to me, please. Listen. There are a lot of people who teach this subject. In my opinion, a great many of them are in error for a very simple reason. They don't read the book they pretend it to be following. I read it. I come at it with all my training as a logistician. I come at it with all my training as, you know, as a theologian, a studier or a student of the Bible, you know, a philosopher of the Bible, philosopher of, of theology. That's how I've learned to approach this. And I'm going to cover all of this in the start of our slideshow. What I want you to understand right now, if you're a lifelong believer, Jew or Christian, I am going to get a hold of one of your sacred cows at some point today. I want you to listen to me before you go flying off the handle on me. Everything I'm going to teach you today comes straight out of this. I call this the rule book. I'm a good Marine. There are 10 general orders in here, and I know how to walk my post from flank to flank and take no flack from any rank because I've learned my rule book as best I can to this point in my life. And I'll study this thing to the day he calls me home. 
but this is where I'm coming from. And I have found things in here that go against what I was taught most of my life in Christian church, uh, in Catholic and in Protestant churches. This is going to be a lot of sacred cow skewering today. This is going to be a tough class for most of us. I will try to go slow. If you have questions, put them on the comment section. Charlie and Caitlin will either answer them or they'll field them to me. Do not. You mean Natasha. I mean, oh, sorry, Caitlin. Who's Caitlin again? Nobody. Trying to get her killed by the Muslims. They'll field the questions or they'll send them to me. All right, let's get on with this. I've screwed up enough already for one day. <clears throat> the following teaching reflects my understanding at this time. All readings are taken from the NASB translation on Bible Gateway. This is the first slide presentation in the history of this show that I've taken primarily and I've made myself. It took me a while. This is me. This one here is my teaching. I have a few other pictures and memes that I've snagged that suit the purpose, but for the most part, this is entirely me today, folks. I'm not leaning on anybody else's understanding other than the scriptures themselves. This one's going to be Bible basics. The Bible means what it says. Otherwise, it's useless and foolishness. However, what do we mean by means what it says? Like inerrancy can't be wrong. <clears throat> it is not wrong when it is taken in its proper context. What is it trying to say and teach and how? What is the cultural relative you know, context? What's the linguistic? All of that. We've covered this in previous shows. When you take the Bible on its terms, it is perfect. It is, it's inerrant. It makes no mistakes. When you take it on its terms, we have to understand properly before it means anything to us. So what's its most basic teachings? What are they? That's what we're going to be looking at today. But first, <clears throat> we've already covered this. We assume the scriptures represent the inspired word of God. What do we mean? by inspired. Simply put, we mean that the Holy Spirit guided the writing of the scriptures, but the Holy Spirit did not write the scriptures. What do I mean by this? When the prophet sits down to write, be it Moses or Isaiah or Jeremiah or whoever, even the New Testament, they don't go into a trance and their hand and body becomes a dictograph machine and the Holy Spirit writes through them. That's not, if Yahweh wanted to do that, he would have just had a finger materialize over the top of the parchment and start writing like he did with Nebuchadnezzar's son or whatever, you know, writing on the wall. He can write all his own. He doesn't need somebody to do that. But what it means is the Holy Spirit guided their thinking and their understanding, chose the right person to do the job, somebody who's already thinking the way Yahweh wants them to, and guided what they wrote. But the characteristic and the personality of the individual prophet is still in his writings. If this were not true, then Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Paul would all sound exactly alike because it would be the Holy Spirit writing. But the Holy Spirit guided the scriptures, did not write them. This is important. The scriptures were written by real flesh and blood human beings. 
God did not have to work through his human agents. He chose to do so. He's omnipotent. He's the creator. He's God. He's the father. He can do what he decides he wants to do. It pleased him to work through us in partnership with us. The Bible teaches this. You're his regents on this planet. These flesh and blood humans possess the same failings and limitations as we do today. This includes all the normal use and limitations of language. They're going to use figures of speech. They're going to use um, allegory, uh, analogy, symbology. They're going to make you read between the lines. They're going to use wordplay. There's going to be things that they just assume you know. I don't have to tell you anything about Star Wars. I can just cite a reference to it. And most everybody in our culture, even if you've never seen one of the movies, you you know some of it. This is all going to be in your Bible. We've covered parts of this already in the first previous three shows, but this is a reminder. On top of this, research has shown that we can be reasonably sure that the scriptures have been faithfully preserved and that what has been handed down through the ages accurately represents the inspired word of God in its original form. When I say reasonably sure, I don't mean sure to a certain percentage or whatever. I mean rationally certain. That's what I mean by this. We're rationally certain. We're certain that this is the preserved word of God as it was originally written because everything that we have studied shows us it is. We can put it back together. Comment on the board from Julie Larson. The only book that the skeptics expect to have all the answers, information, and facts. Yes, that's, and it does. It, when it's taken on its terms. But now this is what I mean by reasonably sure. I don't mean that, well, I'm 90% sure that, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm talking about. We're not talking about a percentage. We're talking about, I can make a sound, valid, rational argument, logical, deductive argument based mostly on definitions. If you've been in my logic classes, you know, that's the strongest argument you can make. I can do this. And I can use the Bible and history, and I can just slam dunk this thing. That's what the first three shows of this series were about, showing you why we trust this book. So the preservation of the original scripture is what we would expect from an omnipotent God. The fact that they have been, the scriptures have been preserved, in one of the strong is one of the strongest affirmations testifying to the validity of scripture today. So, next, Bible basics. Little quick aside, every time you see this little icon, we are probably talking about a show we've already done or a show we will be doing in more expanded form. Today's show is basically an outline for the next few weeks. We're going to revisit all of this in much more detail. Why is this important? As I go forward today, I have handpicked certain facts and certain passages of Scripture specifically for today's purpose, brevity. I am going to cover a lot today. I don't need to hit you with every passage of scripture supporting the point. Not today. We will go back and we will look at certain subjects, focus on them, half hour, one hour, two hour shows. Then you will get all of the passages you need to hammer the point home. But the point I want you, the main thing I want you to get from me today is, oh, Boy, can I back every bit of this up today. 
everything I bring to you today. If you were to challenge me, knee to knee, face to face, I'd say, get your book open. Let me show you. Everything I'm going to bring to you today, every single thing, I can hit you with three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine interlocking supporting scriptures that testify to the truth of what I'm telling you. Natasha and Charlie have been witness to me doing this over and over before. Not great. I'm not nothing special. I'm not a prophet. I just study this book. So keep this in mind that I've chosen certain passages for specific reasons today. Now, the people, the scriptures were written by people, flesh and blood people. The people who wrote the scriptures were known as Hebrews. Time for Charlie to pop his mic on. We'll be needing him here in a few minutes. Hebrew. This is late Old English from Old French, Hebreu, from the Latin Hebraeus, whatever. From This is an etymology dictionary. You can come back and read this later if you want to. The important part is this. It's traditionally from an ancestral name, Eber, one of the descendants of Noah's sons, but probably literally one from the other side perhaps in reference to the river Euphrates, or perhaps simply uh, signifying immigrant from Ibir, a region on the opposite uh, side or, or on the other side. The initial H was restored in English or whatever. This is my secular explanation of what Hebrew means. And we're going to pop Charlie in here real quick. Charlie, yes. Hebrew. Yes. The, in Hebrew, the word Hebrew, is it's actually Ivri. E- yes. Yeah. What's that? What would that mean in a bigger sense, in a more expanded form? What would the word mean? Well, in the, it carries the, a lot the, of connotations. The yes, ba- the basic meaning is to cross over. Mm-hmm. It, but when you put this into the context of the scriptures, to cross over, oh boy, born again. Yeah. Well, yeah. That that's that's a, a big part of what it is because if you look through the history. Like when they crossed over the Red Sea when it parted, mm-hmm. uh, that's a significant thing. In fact, they national over, baptism is what that was. They crossed over the the Jordan again when they entered back into the land with Joshua. So, the, and, and this is just two of them. There, it's repeated throughout the scriptures many different times. This idea of crossing over is a big deal. And, and they cross in each of those cases. That's crossing over through the water. The, it was the nation that crossed. So you got a nation crossing through water, just right. as the individual is baptized through water. Water yes. signifying the living word of God, meaning the Torah. Right. So a nation is baptized through the sea or the river. An individual right. through water. Well, Torah is Christ. Right. As you're going to see today. So you're being baptized through Torah. You're crossing over. You're being born again. You're choosing to follow Yahweh. In each time, there's usually a metaphor with this going from, like, in Egypt, going from bondage into freedom, mm-hmm. from the wilderness into the promised land, you know, so there's there's blessings on the other side if you choose to cross over. Yes. So this is a huge subject, folks. Yeah, we could do a whole class on this. And we will. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Charlie. So... Hebrew means one who's crossed over, born again. The book of Genesis tells us that Jacob, who is later renamed Israel after wrestling with the angel of Yahweh, he had 12 sons, Reuben, 
Simeon, Levi, Dan, Judah, Naphtali, Issachar, Gad, Asher, Joseph, Zebulun, and Benjamin. From these 12 sons came the 13 tribes of Israel. This is Genesis 49, 28 through 33. 13 tribes. Yes, Joseph has two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. They are too, uh, too many of them to be in one tribe, so they split and they become two tribes. After the death of Solomon, the, the, the nation of Israel, I'm sorry, I left a word out there, but the nation of Israel is divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. This is 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 16 through 24. Henceforth, from that point forward, Scripture calls them the house of Judah and the house of Israel. They have not yet been fully well, put back together. Ezekiel 37 is not fully complete. You better pay attention to that because Jesus knows the difference. And this is an, an important thing in history that you will not see in your secular learning because the kingdom of Solomon was a worldwide kingdom. Yes, it's it the was probably only the one that kingdom. has ever been. It's probably the largest kingdom that ever existed, but yes. you won't see it in history books. Yeah, it's 40 years. It lasted 40 years, and it was a peaceful kingdom, and it it spanned the globe. They know this. Archaeology knows this. So shortly after the split that we find, this is when we find the use of the term Jew starting to be used in Scripture. Now, I chose this passage specifically today. This is Zechariah 8, verse 23. Zechariah is a prophet about the end of time. He talks about the times real close to when the Messiah returns. He says, the Lord of armies says this, the Yahweh of armies, in those days, 10 people from all the nations will grasp the garment of a Jew saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. You're going to see this verse again in the near coming weeks. This is important, very important. And it is at the heart of what I'm trying to get other believers to see and understand. This is an end times prophecy, folks. And that number 10 and grabbing the garment of him who is a Jew, that is not trivial. So henceforth, the term Jew refers to those Hebrews from the tribe of Judah and or the southern kingdom of Judah, also known as Judea. So if you're reading outside of the Bible and they say Jew, they might be talking about somebody who is not Jewish, not a Hebrew, doesn't worship Yahweh. If you're a Canaanite living in the area of Judea to a Roman, you were a Jew. So be careful with that. But for today, to our time, our day and age, we think of Jews as being the ones who keep the laws of Moses. And we think that that's a whole different religion. Oh, is that a mistake? What you have to understand is that <clears throat> all Jews are Hebrews. Not all Hebrews are Jews. So by definition, this means that the people who wrote the scriptures were not all Jews. So when you think of the Old Testament as the Jewish Bible, you are wrong. How do you know that? Because most of the prophets did not come from the house of Judah. They came from other tribes. Moses, the Pentateuch, 
if the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, if that's the Jewish Bible, then why did he come from the Levites? I just showed you Jew refers to the house of Judah. It refers primarily to the tribe of Judah. But Moses comes from the Levites, only half of which stayed in the southern kingdom. So why is Moses from the tribe of Levi? He's got to be a Jew, right? Well, that doesn't work, especially since it's before the kingdom of Judah even exists. Be careful with these terms. The Bible defines them. The Bible's definition, not yours and mine. This is the rule book, boys and girls. Either it means what it says or it's nothing. Throw it away. Quit trying to live by it. If it means what it says, you conform. Don't bend it to you. You bend to it. Rule book. Ignorance of the law is no excuse, especially when it's in the palm of your hand. All right, we continue. This means that it is a mistake bordering on heresy to think in terms of Jews versus Christians. Unless, of course, you understand something that we're going to have to return to in future show real soon. The majority of Christianity is apostate. You've got mystery Babylon right there, boys and girls. The Reformation happened because they recognized that the Catholic Church was in apostasy. And they tried to get back to the original faith. They did not go far enough. The Hebrew Roots Movement is a replay of the Reformation. You have to look at history from the high geosynchronous orb, the whole play. Like I, I did a show on that just last week, I think. So we will recover this. I am not accusing the individual watching this show. I am telling you that the majority of us are in churches that are teaching us wrong. That is not my opinion. It's Christ's. Remember, he looked right at the Pharisees and he told them, you are sons of Satan. You're telling the people the wrong thing. You're teaching them incorrectly. And he turned around and told the people, you follow them only when they're in the seat of Moses teaching Torah. Don't you do what they tell you to do otherwise. He said, follow them only when they teach correctly. We will return to all of this. Today, I just want to give you an overview. I will come back and I will prove all of this to the nth degree using nothing but the scriptures. So since the Bible was written by Hebrews, to Hebrews, it was not written to us. It was written for us, but it was not written to us. It was written by Hebrews to other Hebrews, Torah-observant Hebrews. We need to learn to interpret and understand it the way a Hebrew would which means we need to understand the scriptures from the perspective of a Torah-observant Hebrew, which is how I have tried to approach my study of the scriptures for the last 20 years. And it's probably why they've opened up to me. I bent to it. I Hebrewed. I crossed over. Next point. Yahweh does not change. Malachi 3.6, for I, the Lord, the word there is Yahweh, do not change. Therefore, you, the sons of Jacob, have not come to an end. The sons of Jacob, this is after the split of the tribes. 
So if he had said Israel, he'd have been talking, Yahweh would have been talking about the northern kingdom. He didn't say Israel. If he'd have said Judah, he'd have been talking about the southern kingdom. He chose Malachi. He influenced Malachi to choose the word Jacob, meaning all who believe Yahweh, all Hebrews. You have not come to an end because he does not change. Because he is faithful, because he's made his promises and he set his ways and he wrote his prophecies in the prophets. Because he does not change his mind or get all, this is a major difference between Yahweh and the gods of the rest of the world. Yahweh does not have bad sushi and wake up one morning and decide to rewrite everything. Now, Yahweh does not change. This means the whole Bible is the word of Yahweh. This includes the Old Testament, known as the Tanakh, as well as the New. So the New Testament is not going to change the Old. It will explain it, expound upon it, show you how it what, what it originally meant. But the New Testament did not do away with the Old. If it did, Yahweh changed, and Scripture is broken. Is that not a clear tenet, that Scripture cannot be broken? Whose words? Oh, yeah, Jesus's. And scripture cannot be broken. Jesus says this. So I cannot interpret the New Testament in a way that contradicts the old. If I do, I am in the wrong. Yahweh's words in Micah, Jesus's words in the Gospels. You know, the Son and the Father. No higher authority, folks. Therefore, we must swallow scripture whole. What do I mean by that? We must understand and accept the Old and New Testament as one book, the whole word of Yahweh. Well, Joe, it's a new covenant. Ah, we will get to that. It is a renewed covenant. They had a covenant with Adam. He broke it. Had a covenant with Noah. The people broke that. Had a covenant with Moses. The people broke that. This is nothing new. This is just Yahweh restoring the covenant, putting it back in place. To the Jew. We'll cover that. Next section. There is only one creator. Everything else that is was created ex nihilo by him. Ex nihilo. It means that it was created out of nothing. It was not order brought into place for some pre-existing eternal matter. Ex nihilo means that it was created from nothing. This is new to the world. This is the only book. The scriptures are the only book that teach that about a God. There is no other God known to man that created the universe ex nihilo. All the others just made order out of chaos, a pre-existing chaos. The creator's covenant name is Yahweh. He has many names, but Yahweh is his covenant name, as best we understand it, how to say it. Charlie, um, hit your mic again real quick. Doesn't this roughly translated in Hebrew, I am, or I am that I am, or the, the one that must exist? Yes, I, I, okay, yes. Basically, yes, the, the existing one. Okay, so when, when Yeshua tells um, the Pharisees, I am, <laughs> he's claiming to be Yahweh. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. For all we know, he said Yahweh. <laughs> okay. Possibly, okay. yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Charlie. So this is important. This is his covenant name, not God. God is the English equivalent of Elohim, the Hebrew word Elohim. This is God is not his proper name. 
just make sure you understand that. Yahweh exists outside of space and time, meaning he is transcendent. He is not part of this created universe. So there is no worshiping the universe. There's no Gaia. There's no all things that are made. You know, there's no force. The, the Star Wars and the force, uh-uh, no. That, that, that's not the right way. Mm-mm. Yahweh exists outside of all of this. I mean, outside the universe. It's like we're a big bubble looking down on and into it somewhere that he holds in his hand. So that's also new to man. The Again, the only idea of a creator, transcendent creator known to man is Yahweh. The creator made all that is effortlessly, simply by speaking it into existence. He did not get worn out or tired. He is not humanistic. When he describes himself in human terms, he does that for our benefit. But he doesn't get tired like a person does. All other gods known to man do. They get weary and they get tired and they need help and they have human failings. Yahweh does not. Yahweh's not like man. Comment on the board from Julie Larson. Our opinions are not the law, nor do they change the laws of scripture. God's law is set by him. Yes, Julie. Amen. We must bend to them. So this, this is doctrine. This is the nature of the of the, the Elohim of the Bible, the God of the Bible. Nothing that is created is divine, not in the sense that it is God. All of creation is under the control and at the service of Yahweh. Every angel, every Elohim, everything in heaven, everything here on earth, on earth as it is in all of it. So the sun is not a God. It's not divine. The moon is not a God. It's not divine. The stars are not divine angels, not divine in the sense that they're God or deity. I'm going to disagree with you on a technicality. <laughs> okay. This better be good, Charlie. <laughs> well, you say God. Okay. The, that is basically the English equivalent of Elohim. Okay. Which simply means in Hebrew, mighty one, but that can also apply to human beings and other okay. deities. You're, you're, you're quibbling. It, 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 I'm, I'm, quib, I'm quibbling, but, but it's just... Off you go. Blah, blah, blah. Goodbye. No quibbling. Okay. What? I was hoping he wouldn't do this. I knew where he was going. Real quick, let me make sure. Charlie, we do have some folks here that may not understand what you're doing. I don't want you confusing them today, brother, please. I understand what you're doing. He was playing a professor's or a rabbi's or a teacher's or, or a linguist's game. Yes. Elohim and God. Yes. So the created beings could be deity in that sense. What I, that's why I was saying they're not gods and, and deity. I use that word to me. All the created beings, they are not other, other things to be worshiped. They're not other creators. They're, they're not equal to Yahweh. This is what I want you to understand because this is di- the God of the, you have to understand the creator or the Bible of the Bible, El Elyon, God most high. In the, he's unique amongst all of man's all of man's deities. There's none other like him, which is exactly what the Bible teaches, and it's exactly what we would expect all other created beings to have to acknowledge. Even the demons acknowledge Jesus as the Son of Yahweh. They do so in the Gospels. Oh, Bible basics. Yahweh made man, male and female, in his image meaning that man is Yahweh's agent in this material world, his representative servant. We may look like him, but since Yahweh is spirit, he wouldn't have a bodily form, folks. 
Come on, you got to swallow the whole of Scripture. So Yahweh is spirit. Nobody's ever seen him. How do we know what form a spirit takes or if it even has form? He exists outside of the time and space of this universe, even the universe including heaven. He exists outside of heaven. He's, he, he is transcendent. Heaven is a created space. So don't be thinking that it made in his image means you look like him. You are made in his spiritual image to have his character and his nature and to a lesser extent, his abilities you can create. You have free will. You can choose to obey him or not. There, after the eating of the fruit of the tree of good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil, we became moral agencies. This is all wrapped up in what it means to be made in his image. It might have been a better way to translate this, saying we were made in his Shem, his character, his nature. This is the Hebrew word for name, Shem. And it doesn't mean the label by which you're called. It means a descriptive of your character or nature. Yahweh has many names in the Bible, many what we would think of as titles, but they all describe his nature. So it would maybe for the purpose of those who are just learning this, you were made in his Shem, his name in his character and nature, not necessarily his physical form, but you were still made to do his work on earth because he chose to do so. Now in the garden, man rebelled. This led to what we call the fall, the point where sin and death entered into this world through the action of Adam. In other words, man is kicked out of the kingdom of Yahweh. The garden represents that. That represents the throne room. We'll get to all of that in a later show. That's divine counsel worldview thinking. That's uh, spiritual geography thinking. It is in your Bible. I will show it to you. But for right now, what you know is that the fall, man is kicked out of the kingdom of Yahweh. And when that happens, you're severed from the fellowship of Yahweh, and you will die physically and spiritually. Death, death. The fall separated man from Yahweh was what I already said. The separation came by death, which is in the hair which is the inheritance of the world outside of the kingdom of Yahweh. Let me explain. When you get separated from the kingdom of Yahweh, that's, that's his world, his creation, his, when you're following him, when you're, you belong to him, everything outside of that is death because it's outside his kingdom. It's out, outside of his way of doing things. So you will die physically and spiritually. In the Old Testament, before the resurrection, before the new covenant and the cross and the resurrection, when you died, you just went into the ground, a, a dreamless sleep. You ceased to be. Now, Yahweh knows who you were, your spark of life, what we think of as an eternal soul. No, no, no. It's actually Yahweh. It's a piece of Yahweh breathed into you. The Bible teaches this. We'll get back to it. Not today, later class. But it, in the Bible taught that you just went into the ground. That changed at the cross apparently, according to Paul and other passages in Scripture. And we're not going to cover that today. But the point here is that if you've been separated from your fellowship with Yahweh, if the veil is still between you and him, that's death, both physical and spiritual. You cease to exist for all eternity. That's the understanding in the Old Testament Scriptures. Man is incapable of redeeming himself. A flawed, imperfect creature cannot redeem himself, cannot make himself perfect 
You cannot rip that veil. You need a redeemer. And that's what the fact that you're flawed, this necessitated the need for a redeemer. Someone to atone for and make reparations for sin so that man could re-enter the kingdom of Yahweh and thus have fellowship with Yahweh once again. That is the process by which you obtain eternal life. You, you re-enter the kingdom. That's part of your inheritance. This is all covenant language, marriage language, marriage covenant. We will cover this in future shows. But this is Bible basics. I mean, we are talking basic. This here, man is incapable of redeeming himself. You've heard this before. We all sin. There's no way around it. Sin. Charlie needs to pop his little microphone on here again. Let me change the screens around so Charlie can be in here. We all sin. Sin is a Hebrew word, isn't it? It is. It's an archery term, isn't it? It is. It means to miss the mark, right? Yeah, miss the target. Which means we don't always hit the target. We aim for it, maybe, but we don't hit it, right? Right. And there's nothing we can do about that. It's not that the Bible sometimes reads as though we, we're, we're capable of not sinning, maybe for short periods of time, but we will sin just by the nature of the law. Yeah. So that's an archery term. We are, we're all going to do this. We, and if you're a sinner, you can't perfect yourself. All right. Right. So, okay. Thank you, Charlie. You can't get order out of chaos unless, there of course, you go. you're Yahweh. Yes. Unless you're Yahweh. So, thanks, Charlie. He, he knew this time, folks. He, he knew I was going to be doing this to him throughout the day. I'd already let him know. He's an important part of today's show. So this is what necessitates a redeemer, somebody to correct that. Yahweh provided for this redeemer before he created the foundations of the earth, laid before the foundations of the earth. So that redeemer was laid, but yeah, read John 1, 1 again. We'll get there. The redeemer is known as the Messiah, Savior. The Messiah's covenant name is Yeshua or Yeshua. Time for Charlie to pop his little booty back on again because I think I did this right. In Hebrew, basically it would mean Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh saves, wouldn't it, Charlie? Yes. And it there there's his name was likely actually Yehoshua. Yes. But uh this is like a nickname. It, it's kind of like a nickname, like okay. my name. Well, I won't go I won't go there. But somebody, you know. Well, like Joe, Joe is for Joseph, Joseph. is Joe, yeah, mm -hmm. things like that, yeah. But still, it's a contraction. It, it, his, his Hebrew name would have meant yeah. Yahweh's. And <clears throat> you could call Charlie Chuck. Yeah. Now, this is important, folks, because there is a passage in the prophets where Yahweh clearly says, there is no redeemer but my me. Oops. Well, I thought the Yeshua, or Yahoshua, Jesus is the redeemer. Yes. The answer to that is yes. They're one and the same. They don't look the same. It's not a case of if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, we have the same nature. It is the case of they are the same somehow. And yet, one is lesser than the other, probably because the Spirit became flesh, which is lesser than the Spirit world. But this is important right here. This is Yeshua's covenant name, or Yehoshua. Thanks, Charlie. Now, I still use Jesus, folks. Don't get me wrong. I speak in a language that I know you're going to understand. I've started using certain Hebrew names. It would be because, like, you could call me professor. I know who you are. I know who you're talking about. Thanks, Aaron. But if you really wanted to talk to me in a way that was closer and more, more personal, you'd use my name, Joe. 
And if we got legalistic, you know, if I had to sign a legal document, I have to sign my name, Joseph. As I get closer to him, I use his names, Yahweh and Yeshua or Yahushua. Personal choice. Personal choice. It's not a salvation issue. However, as you get closer to him and you understand him better, especially as you start to learn to think like one of his Hebrew crossed over born again children, at least to me, it just came naturally. Nobody told me I had to do it. I started doing it on my own because I found out that that's the way it should have been. That's the way it is in the, in the older scriptures. So that's where I wanted to go. And that's why I do it. It's up to you what you want to do. Next point. Genesis 49.10 tells us that the Messiah will come from the tribe of Judah. It says the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes, which is a way of saying the Messiah. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. All nations, the obedience of the goyim, that's the Hebrew right there, of the nations, of the, of the Gentile world, of the peoples. So this is the first point where we're also alluded to in earlier in Genesis, where it says the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. That's a reference to the Messiah. But this is the first time we're told he will come from Judah, not the house of Judah, the tribe of Judah. This is one of Jacob at that time known as Israel, this is his blessing to his sons. Jeremiah 23, 5 makes it clear that the Messiah will be of the house of David. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, declares Yahweh, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. This is the Messiah. This is Yeshua. David is part of the tribe of Judah. He's a descendant of the man Judah. It's actually very important, and we will cover this in a later show, but David is a descendant of the second born of Tamar's children who are born out of incest because Tamar had to trick Judah into fathering her children because he wouldn't follow the law, and that caused a breach. There are numerous breaches in your Bible leading up to the cross. From the cross forward, you are repairing that breach. The kingdom is under attack up until the point of the cross. After the cross, Yahweh goes on the attack. That's the book of Revelation with the rider on the white horse that sets out to wage war with the empty bow. I firmly believe that bow is Judah. And that that passage refers back to Zechariah. He will bend the bow of Judah and fill it full of the arrow of Ephraim. That passage is connected to Jesus telling us that my kingdom, you know, he's going to build his church upon that rock. He's standing on the foot of Mount Hermon, which in the ancient time was thought to be the gates of Hades, the gates to hell. And he says, I will build my kingdom on this rock, not on Peter as the first pope, on the rock where they're standing at the time. And he says, and the gates of hell, meaning Hades, right there in their shadow, will not prevail against me. So basically what he's saying is he will defeat the ruler of this world, Satan. All of this is connected. So the Messiah comes from the line of David, who is himself part of a breach. And he comes from Judah. All of this is important, folks. And we will cover this in individual shows. 
But the Gospels make it painfully clear that by the Scriptures, Jesus is the Messiah. Luke and Matthew, and they all go through great pains to tell you that he fulfills the prophecies of Messiah. He is recorded both in and out of Scripture as having existed in the flesh as a real person. And even outside of Scripture, some of the things that they record about him in secular history confirm the prophecies. Now, according to Scripture, he fulfills some 360-something prophecies that he could not possibly have controlled. All have to do with things that are entirely outside of the control of a human being. That is way beyond the statistical chance of zero. He's the Messiah. Our Jewish brothers and sisters have been blinded to this. <clears throat> so therefore, Jesus is of the house of David and of the tribe of Judah, which means Jesus is a Jew. He's not something new as a Christian. He's a Jew. Torah observant Jew, also a Hebrew, also an Israelite. He's all of those things. But in his sense, he's a Jew because he comes from the tribe of Judah. And he was sent to the house of Judah first, to his own house first, then to the house of Israel. To discard or count the Jew as our enemy is to throw away Messiah and our salvation. To think we are different from the Jews is to throw away the promise that was made for Messiah. The promise of Messiah was not made to the Gentiles. The promise of Messiah was not made to any other nation. The promise of Messiah was not made to Christians. The promise of Messiah was made to the Hebrew people, and he would come from the house of Judah. This is what it means when Yahweh tells Abraham that through him and his seed, all, his, all the nations, all the world will be blessed. And the promises that Yahweh made to Abraham are traced through Isaac, not Ishmael. So this is part of what's going on over there in the Middle East right now, is that battle between Ishmael and Isaac has not stopped. None of this is different. None of this has changed. Comment on the board, dip by DDT. Names have real meaning and importance and power. Amen. Yes. All of this is important, folks. All of this. Another Bible basic. As a Jew, Jesus kept the Torah, and he never taught against it. On the contrary, Jesus taught that those who teach against Torah would be better off with a millstone around their necks. Now, that's not the passage I quoted right here. I quoted Matthew 5 verses 17 through 20. Do not presume that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. That is a way of saying the Old Testament, the Tanakh. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. That is a way of saying I didn't come to do away with it, but to show you how to live it correctly. I came to correct your misunderstandings and show you how to live it. We know this. This is a phrase. This is a common Hebrew idiom, and it is very popular in the rabbinical writings and the intertestimonial period writings, Second Temple Judaism but it is also in your Bible in more than one place. It always means that, that I didn't come to throw away the Old Testament. I came to correct your bad teachings and to show you physically, personally, how to live it properly. It says, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of a letter shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, 
whoever nullifies one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness far surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. We are still here, folks. Therefore, all has yet to be accomplished. And if it hasn't all been accomplished, the law is still in place. This is future language right here in Matthew. He's not talking about up until the cross. He is talking about until heaven and earth pass away and are remade. That's in the Bible. The Torah is not canceled. Not my words, his. And that's Yahweh in human form, in flesh. Torah is not canceled, folks. Torah is still in place. That is a Bible basic, very simple fact. Paul didn't change that. Nobody changed that. It's never been changed. You go to Isaiah 66, 17. That's the chapter where Isaiah is talking about the remaking of the world, the new heaven and the new earth. And he's talking about people who are still trying to cleanse themselves up on high places. They're worshiping false idols that they've made, and they're still eating unclean. He's not talking about pagans in that passage. He's talking about people who claim to be believers. Yeshua, Matthew 7, verse 20 through 23. Going to be a lot of people. Man, I'm going to praise Jesus. I'm going to heal in his name. I'm going to prophesy in his name. I'm going to do all these great works in his name. And he's going to go, I never knew you. Be gone from me. He's going to reject you. Why? You didn't know him. What does it mean to know him? We'll get to that. You've got to pay attention to the rule book, brothers and sisters. This is the best meme I've ever seen for this subject. I did not come to abolish Torah, but to show you how to live it. Matthew 5, 17 through 20. How to live it. Notice he didn't follow necessarily law of Moses because that's he tells you that Torah is much more than that. Messiah is the word of Yahweh. All things which have been made were made through Messiah, the word of Yahweh. Paul teaches us this elsewhere in scripture. John 1, verses 1 through 4. In the beginning was the word. The Greek word here is logos. It is a much bigger word than just word. Logos to a Greek philosopher means the conscious mind of the creator of the universe. So in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, with Yahweh. And the word was Yahweh. He was in the beginning with Yahweh. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. Light is a, is a prophetic way of saying the teaching of Yahweh. All things are made through him. He is all of Yahweh's laws, what we would think of as natural law and spiritual law. All things that were made were made through the laws of Yahweh. Shua is the Torah, the whole Torah. This is why Yeshua says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Torah is the way. That's Psalm 119, verse 1. Torah is truth. Psalm 119, verse 142. Torah is life. Deuteronomy 32, verses 46 through 47. It also says this in other passages too. Messiah is the way, 
the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. Messiah is Torah, John 1, 14. I am the way, I am the path that leads you to truth, righteousness, which will give you life, brings you into the kingdom. When Yeshua says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's not saying that necessarily you have to follow me, the man. He's quoting himself. He's quoting scripture. He's showing you how that scripture relates, how it affects your life, how you're supposed to respond to it. So if you imitate Jesus as he is described in the Gospels and in the, in the book of Acts, guess what you're going to be doing? You're going to be following Torah. And the New Testament tells you to imitate Jesus. Well, if the Torah was done away and canceled, how can you imitate a man whose entire life was the perfect following of Torah? So why are we taught otherwise? I know that there'll come a time when the world will be controlled by a spirit who seeks to, to cancel the Torah and the Moedim, the appointed times. John 1.14, the words made flesh, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we saw his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word. What exactly do we mean by the word? The scriptures became flesh. Wrap your head around that one. Potent God can do whatever he wants, right? He stepped down into this world in the form of a fleshly man. He's still fully God. He's all of this. It wasn't the spirit God that became flesh. It wasn't all of his being. It was his decrees, his laws, his decisions. It was his desires, how he wanted things to be done, his prophecies. All of that became flesh. It's in the scriptures. Does this mean what it says? Well, it's just metaphoric, Joe. You're no, 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 no. This is not metaphoric language we're reading. It didn't say like as. It didn't say as unto. It didn't say I can compare it to. There were no metaphorical qualifiers in those words. That is a literal explanation of what you're dealing with. Remember, these are flesh and blood human beings writing with all the limitations of language. If I want to tell you I'm making an allegorical or a symbolic or some sort of pictorial reference, if I want to tell you that it's symbol, symbolistic language, I have qualifiers, symbol language. I tell you this. The prophets tell us all the time when they're using symbolic language. None of that was here. John chapter 1, there's no symbolic language there. That is a clear dot, 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 staccato assertion of factual truth, which means that the, 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 the Torah, the teachings of Yahweh became flesh. So, well, there's no salvation, but through Christ, right? Through the teachings of Yahweh, doing it his way. I'm not teaching, I'm not teaching works. Don't leave me. Stay with me. I'll get to that. I'm teaching in an order on purpose. Stay with me. All right, let's keep going to the next Bible basic section and we'll quit there for the break. Hosea, chapter four, verse six. This is the passage that everybody wants to cut in half. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Since you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being my priests. 
since you have forgotten the law of your Elohim, I also will forget your children. We always quote, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So because you don't know about the Constitution and you don't know about this and you don't know about that, uh-uh, this is Hebrew parallelism here, folks. Got to think like a Hebrew. I'm destroyed for lack of knowledge of what? You have rejected knowledge, wisdom, which is the, what's the start of wisdom? Fear of Yahweh. I will also reject you being my priests. So you can't be my servants since you forgot the law of your Elohim, the Torah, the teachings of your Elohim. I'll also forget you and your children. You want to throw the law away? You come under the condemnation of the whole of Hosea 4.6, not just that first clause, a whole passage. You really want to put yourself under that condemnation? Not teaching works, not teaching salvation by works. You stick with me. I will explain it. It's a relationship thing, folks. And this means that a lack of knowledge of Torah and knowledge of Jesus. So if you know Jesus, you know Torah. If you know Torah, you know Jesus. If you don't know Torah and you claim to know Jesus, he will tell you, be gone from me. I never knew you. His words, not mine. Because in that it says, be gone from me, you who practice lawlessness. That past, that understanding of lawlessness is defined in the scriptures. But Torah and Jesus, they're the same thing in different forms. The word is Torah. Torah is the word. Jesus is the word. They're the same things. Which is why for Jesus to teach against Torah is for Jesus to teach against himself. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. Mark 3.25. This is where we're going to stop and take our break. I hope you're following me. I am not teaching salvation by works. That is not how it works. I know that. The Bible teaches me that. But it does teach me that I have to keep Torah. I have to live according to the teachings of Yahweh, according to the Bible, old and new. When Jesus cites the scriptures and references the scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament. When the apostles talk about the scriptures, they're talking about the Old Testament. When Paul tells you, you test everything against the scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament. They're all talking about the Tanakh. New Testament does not exist yet. They're talking about the Tanakh. Well, if under the new covenant, you go to the Tanakh for your guidance, then how did the New Testament do away with it? It didn't. So how did people get led so astray thinking that the New Testament and the New Covenant totally threw away the old? They did not read the rule book or they chose to do it their way, which makes them very good Samaritans, good Pharisees too, both of which Jesus said are sons of Satan and who do not know what they worship. Jesus said this, Yahweh in the form of a man walking the earth, living amongst us, says, if you don't do it my way, you're off the path. You've missed the mark. And you will not find your way into the kingdom. He will reject you and close the door on you. I will explain how this works in the second hour. It is actually simple. 
wrapping our human heads around it. That's the hard part. Six minute break. Charlie has to dance around the studio for a little while. We'll see you in a few.
Uh, Marianne, I tried to get Charlie to agree for me to go, and he's going to dance around it. He won't do it. He just, he, he won't. His dancing is too glorious for the sights of human beings. <sighs> well, Anyhow. actually, he wouldn't want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's keep going with where we're at, man. Not, not, not too much humor here. I want to stay focused and serious here before I lose it. Another Bible basic. Something we need to understand. A lot of us as Christians, we think when we think Torah, we think law of Moses. Torah is not the same thing as the law of Moses. If I'm not mistaken, Torah is another one of those Hebrew abbreviations or acronyms. Um, We'll get to Charlie here in a minute. Torah, time to get Charlie in here. If I'm not not mistaken, Torah basically means the teachings, right? Teaching, instruction, right. Instruction or the teacher or whatever, et cetera. Right. Yes. Okay. That's important, folks, because it's not just the law of Moses. It's the entire Tanakh. No, it's not. Yes, yes. It's. I used to think it was just the law of Moses. Well, and it even it even extends into the New Testament. Yes, it does. Because everything in the gospel Yeshua is clarifies a lot of the stuff mm-hmm. from the Tanakh. Which is so, one of the reasons the Pharisees hated him so much. Right, right. Because <laughs> I mean he he brought it from the the words written on the tablets and started bringing it into the hearts of the believers. Drilled it into the heart of the believer. Yes. Thanks, Charlie. Okay, so we've got to understand this. This is another meme that I got, but since I have a Hebrew scholar here, I grabbed him. But the Torah, Hebrew word for instruction, designed to teach us the truth about God and ourselves and how we relate to him. Now, real fast, this just entered my mind, so let me put this aside and talk to you real quick about this. I know some of you, if you've been in your church for a while, and you've been learning, and you've listened, and you read your Bible, you might be thinking, Paul says that we had the Torah as a guardian, you know, a teacher until such time as grace came. Folks, Torah is the law, the tablet teaching you how to walk in God's ways, Yahweh's ways, written on cold stone. It dictated to you until grace came. Grace is a fleshly human being coming to show you how to live it in person. They're the same thing in two different forms. They're vanilla and chocolate ice cream. Vanilla was, I just wrote it on the wall. Chocolate was, here, let me show you how to do it. A little more flavor there. Okay? Grace is not a change of anything. Grace is not a change of the nature. Grace is a change in how it is presented and offered to you. We will get to that in a minute, but this popped into my head. This is very important. The Torah teacher was written on the cold tablets. The grace teacher is a man that you could learn to love face-to-face, touch him, hug him, love him in the person. He's still a teacher. He was called rabbi. He's the Torah made flesh. So the Torah used to be on stone tablets. When grace came, Torah became flesh and blood, which drove the teaching into your heart because it made it closer and dearer and more real to you. This is It's all about relationships, how you look at this. It's all about the perspective, how you're going to attract, approach all of these understandings. Torah is the whole world of scripture. This is what it means, the whole word, the whole word of scripture. It's the whole of scripture. It's what it means by the law and the prophets. That's a rabbinical way of saying all, you know why they call it the law and the prophets? The, the Jewish Bibles range differently than ours. 
it starts with the Pentateuch and ends with the prophets and all the history and Psalms and all that stuff's in the middle. So when it says law and the prophets, what Jesus is actually saying is the book ends. It's everything in between the book ends. That's why it's a, it, it's a Hebrew idiom. We have to learn to read and understand in the Hebrew mindset. It'd be like me saying, if I had a bookcase there, it's everything between, you know, it's everything between the alpha and omega. It's the same thing. He's the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. The beginning is the law, the Pentateuch, the end is the prophets. That's scripture. That's Torah. This understanding is affirmed by Jesus when he says, John 10, 34, Jesus answered them, has it not been written in your law? I said, you are gods. Well, Joe, that doesn't say that. Yes, it does. He says, has it not been written in your Torah? I said, you are gods. Jesus is citing Psalm 82, and he called it the law, Torah. Psalm 82 is part of the prophetic writings in the Hebrew Bible. He's talking about the end of the book, and he calls it the law. But Psalm 82, not in the Pentateuch, which means Torah is more than just the law of Moses. That's important, people. Yeshua is everything from the Old Testament made flesh. Another Bible basic. Now, don't get me wrong. Salvation is by grace through faith. Faith yields works through obedience. This is John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 4. 1 John 2, 4. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever follows his word, his Torah, in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. The one who says that he remains in him ought himself also walk just as he walked. Torah observant. Oh, brothers and sisters, do you understand what we're reading here? This first John, this is written years after the ascension. John's still telling you that there's commandments. If the law is done away, where the heck did these commandments come from? Oh, the Beatitudes, Joe. The Beatitudes is the 10 words. Yeah, but not with the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a seal. What? The Sabbath isn't a commandment. It's a seal. We'll get to that. It's something that you're supposed to keep and observe and remember. That, that, that In the Ten Commandments, it says remember. It doesn't say thou shalt or thou shalt not. It says remember. It's a different thing. So the Beatitudes restates the ten words. Well, Jesus also says, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. He says all the law hangs on that. All the Torah, all the teachings, not just the Pentateuch. The whole of the Old Testament hangs on those two commands. Ten commandments as well. When he says the whole of the testament of the law lays on that, he's telling you, you got to keep the whole Tanakh. Folks, he's as clear as a bell if you're listening as a Hebrew. Now, if you listen as a Greek apostate or heretic, well, now that's a whole different story. You'll hear what you want to hear. But if you listen as somebody other than a Hebrew, what you're hearing is not this. You're hearing something that you created yourself. Your pastors and your teachers should be helping you understand this. Yeshua. 
and Paul both tell them, don't be teachers unless you're willing to do this hard work. Because you will be judged for the error where you lead the sheep. John, is John important to us? Writes the book of Revelation. He says, I have come to know him, but you don't keep his commandments. He's the Torah, living flesh. He's all of the commandments. From Genesis 1-1 to the end of Revelation. Well, you're a liar if you say you know him and you don't keep him. The truth is not in you. But if you follow his word, his Torah, in him the love of God truly has been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Charlie, I need your help here right now, brother. What do we mean by in him? In the Hebrew mindset, what would we mean by in him? Oh, wow. Um, well, gosh, how do you explain that? Keeping his nature and joining yeah, yeah. him in his Shem? Well, yeah, you were, you were talking earlier about Shem and how it means your character, your your being, your essence, you know, what what you are. Uh, it's kind of like that, I guess, is the best way. Well, do y'all remember when he when in in the uh, Exodus where he says, "My angel is in the flame and pillar of smoke." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the same thing. And he was in the angel. Yes. So if you say you dwell in him, that means you study and meditate on his word and seek to follow it every day, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Folks, this is important stuff. This is the heart and crux of your salvation. Thanks, Charlie. Charlie's doing a good job today, folks. He, uh, he's getting popped in on a moment's notice, and I know he's busy with y'all. So you, you have to understand the relationship. Jesus did not teach us to nullify the law, but to repent. But he taught us to repent. Matthew 3, 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark 1, 14 through 15. Now, after John, John the Baptist, was taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God, which is another way of saying the gospel of Yahweh, the, the kingdom of Yahweh, and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Luke 5:32. I have not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. Because if you're already righteous, you don't need to repent. Repent, often translated as to change your mind or to turn the other way. Most of the time in Christian church, that's what I heard. Then I learned what it means in the Hebrew. In a Hebrew mindset, repent is better understood as return. As in, return to the way, the narrow path. Return to Torah. Torah is a narrow path because it's a tough way of living. The world wants to get us, don't turn to the left or to the right. Don't go after that squirrel or that rabbit. Don't go after this teaching or that teaching. Stick on the Torah. Stick on the way that Yahweh taught you to live. That's the way. I am neither Christian nor Jew. I am neither this nor that. I have come to understand I am a follow, I'm a disciple of the Messiah and a follower of the way, his way, the path he showed me to live, the way he showed me through his personal example how to live his word. He gave us the word. He is the living word. He gave us the Torah, the Tanakh, the Old Testament. Then he came. That was, that was the law. That's Torah. Then he came in the flesh. Grace. 
He showed me how to live it. It was an undeserved gift. How do I earn the right to have God step down on heaven, take on human flesh and all its failings, and show me how to live the Torah? That's part of grace. So he gave me a living example. So if what, what, I've got to follow the way. I've got to follow his example. We just read John telling us, follow his example. His example was Torah observant, and he taught us how to observe Torah. The Pharisees come at him and say, it's illegal for you to heal on the Sabbath. And he goes, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'll tell you what is and isn't right. And he healed on the Sabbath. Because then he turns around and says, what's the weightier part of the law? To do good or to be legalistic? He showed us how to live it, how to be rightly dividing his word, how to judge correctly. He didn't tell us not to judge. He told us to learn his word so that when we judge, we judge righteously righteously. That's going to become very important to us here in just a few minutes. Return. That's repentance. Return back to Torah. Return to Torah. That's what he called us to do. He didn't say, hey, say this little prayer, ask for me to be your Lord and Savior, get yourself dunked, and you're good to go. That is not in your Bible anywhere, brothers and sisters, nowhere. If you think you found it, you show it to me. Send me an email. And I will gently and lovingly correct you because I absolutely know you're wrong. You're reading it incorrectly. It's never been taught. Bible basics. The gospel is not about individual salvation. It is about the kingdom of Yahweh. Now, your individual salvation is part of it. Don't go freaking out on me. Okay? The point here is stop thinking me, me, me. Start thinking Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. Even the Son served the Father. The Son is Yahweh in human flesh, and he's still serving the greater self. You think kingdom of Yahweh. How do I be his servant and do his work? If you do this, according to Torah, you're going to get your salvation anyhow. You're not earning it. No, 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 no. You can't put Yahweh in debt to you. That's not possible. It's all about relations. But this is not my opinion about the gospel. Matthew 4, verse 23. Jesus was going about in all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogue and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness among the people. Does that say the gospel of individual salvation? No. It says the gospel of the kingdom. The restoration of Eden. What he's telling you is that everything that's come before this, everything that's fallen apart since the garden, I am here to start repairing it. I am reversing it. And it will not stop until I return and finish it. You are in an ongoing work, a work of Yahweh and his son. He's in his kingdom now. That's what scripture teaches, folks. We've been taught otherwise because of the traditions of man. Mark 1, verse 14. Now, after John was taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. That is a way of saying the kingdom. Luke 16, 16. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John came. In other words, you had the written word. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached. And everyone is forcing his way into it. The law and the prophets is all the destruction 
that man has wrought, everything we've done wrong. It's a record of what we did wrong, and you had to have the law because you were lawless in heart. Paul tells you, you needed the law because you were lawless, but the righteous don't need the law. So the gospel of the kingdom of God, notice I told you kingdom of God, gospel. we've already, already been told that the gospel is the kingdom of Yahweh, the kingdom, kingdom of God, kingdom of Yahweh. All the, all, that's what this is about. Well, now you have grace, and the grace is about I'm restoring all of this. You didn't earn it. Look at the Old Testament there, you hammer knockers, you stiff-necked people. You kept doing wrong. I restored you, you turned away. I restored you, you turned away. You can't fix yourself. You won't. You won't listen to me. Let me put myself in a human flesh and show you how to do this and drive my word into your heart. I'm going to do something so great that those who love me will respond the way I want them to. I'll drive my teachings, my Torah, into your heart through my actions. That's what's going on here, folks. Bible basics. The law and the prophets is the old covenant. The kingdom of Yahweh is the new covenant. The new covenant was promised to both the house of Israel and the house of Judah. What? Jews. The new covenant was promised to Jews? Yes. All Hebrews. What you're about to read is the new promise of the new covenant. It doesn't say Gentile anywhere in here. That's why you have to be grafted in. If you're grafted into the family, does the family have to do it your way or do you do it their way? If you're adopted into my household, you're following my laws, boys, boys and girls. I adopt a child into my household. They're going to live by my rules. But why do we think we get adopted into Yahweh's house and then all of a sudden he's got to live by our uh -uh. Jeremiah 31, verse 31 through 33. Behold, days are coming, declares Yahweh. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I've got a lot of brothers and sisters who tell me that this isn't in here. There's no such thing as the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Okay, fine. You threw your salvation away. You've just thrown your new covenant away. Because right there, behold, days are coming, declares Yahweh. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, although I was husband to them, declares Yahweh. For this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares Yahweh. I will put my law within them and write it on their heart, and I will be their Elohim, and they will be my people. He just said house of Israel and house of Judah. When he says that I'm going to do, this is the law I'll make with the house of Israel, he's not changing that. He's focusing on the house of Israel, which is why Jesus said, I came but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The Jews already knew Torah. They didn't need to be called back to it. I did not come for the righteous. My gospel is not for the righteous. The ones, the faithful Orthodox Jews already following Torah didn't need him. The sinner did. The ones who had turned from Torah that had gotten off the path that were missing the mark. Do you see it, brothers and sisters? Over the next few weeks, I will drill this home using nothing but scripture. This is important to all of us. We've, we've misunderstood. 
The new covenant clearly says that Yahweh will put his Torah in the hearts of those who accept his new covenant, both Jew and Christian alike, which means the Torah stands and there is no Jew and Christian, only Israel. Israel, those who wrestle with Elohim. Do I have that right, Charlie? I surprised him this time. I didn't want Yes, you do. So what would be the fuller? Is that, that literally the Hebrew meaning of it? Wrestles yes, with, contends rest, with? to wrestle or struggle with, uh, with God. And yeah, the connotation there is to try to figure out what he wants from you. Not, yes. not necessarily physically wrestling. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. I mean, there, there was a physical thing that occurred, yes. but this is the metaphorical thing. Uh, at least I believe that's that's what our our struggle is here is to figure out what. So isn't Yahweh Israel in to. the New Testament? Wouldn't we call that the body of the Messiah? Yeah, I would say yeah. And doesn't Paul tell us there is no Jew or Gentile? There is only disciples of Christ in the body of the Messiah. Right. He's just giving you another way of looking at the same Old Testament concept. The concept hasn't changed, has it, Charlie? No, no, it's the same. Nothing's throughout. changed. Thank you, sir. Another Bible basic. So, Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom of Yahweh and told us to seek it first. Not your individual salvation, the kingdom. Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided to you. But what is righteousness? It is obvious that it is important, Matthew 5, 10, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.20 For I say to you that unless your righteousness far surpasses that of the scribes of Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So this righteousness thing is important, right? Well, what is it? Now, well, Bible basis. Basics. Let's go back to this verse, Matthew 5.10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now look at this verse, Matthew 10, 22. And you will be hated by all because of my name, my Shem. My being is Torah. You will be hated by all because I am Torah, and you follow me. Now compare them. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of following me, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and you will be hated by all men because you follow me. I am Torah. Torah is me. You're going to be hated because you follow God's way of doing things. Not because you're obedient, but because you show the world that they are in error, and you remind them that they will inherit death. You didn't earn anything. You're just a servant. A servant is bought. You were bought with the blood of the Messiah. Okay. You want to be covered with that blood. That requires the only thing you can do. You accept it. But once you accept it, you're now a servant. Does a servant get to run around doing whatever they want to do? You're a bond servant. You're a slave. Well, no, you don't get to go do your own thing. You have a master. You have a Lord. It's all about relationships, folks. In the Hebrew mind, name is your character or your nature. Jesus is the living Torah. Therefore, Jesus is Torah. Torah is righteousness. Righteousness is Jesus. It's pretty easy. 
For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Romans 2.13. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but is those who obey the law who are to be declared righteous. So if you don't obey, well, what law? I thought the law was canceled. Oopsie. David Pawson called home here not too long ago. He went and did a seminar in the Southeast uh, Asia for people in the, in the Pacific Rim as pastors. And it was all for pastors. And he was covering the 613 laws of Moses. And he said, yeah, luckily we don't have to follow any of them. And everybody gave an applauding round of applause. And he said, you just have to follow the 1120 something commandments in the New Testament. And there was silence in the room and he just smiled. He said, oh yeah, you missed them, didn't you? There are twice as many commandments in the New Testament. First of all, just about every one of the old is reaffirmed. And then he adds on to them. Did you notice the Beatitudes reaffirm the Ten Commandments and then drive them home? I say you don't commit adultery. But worse than that, I say if you lust in your heart, you already have. In other words, don't do it in the flesh, but don't do it in your heart either. Well, if there's no law, well, then how the heck can you be righteous? And if you're not righteous, how do you inherit the kingdom? Ooh, tough stuff, huh? By the way, if you are not very firmly rooted in your understanding of the Bible, and I mean very, do not go to this website. I chose this because this is a good one. 119 Ministries is very tricky. They border on legalism. We will be covering them in the future. Once you have a good, solid foundation under you, they can be very valuable. But you have to be able to be discerning. The difference between right and almost right is very important on this website. Just a word of warning. So we have to be more obedient, more righteous than the Pharisees to enter the kingdom of Yahweh. It's not legalism to want to obey the Torah. It is a sin not to do so. I quote more than just that passage. This is 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. John again, right? The one who Yahweh, uh, Yeshua loved. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Stop. Be gone from me, you who practice lawlessness. Okay, so if you're practicing lawlessness, you're a sinner. And Paul tells us where there's no law, there is no sin. Which means that this is John writing after Paul wrote Romans, which means you can still sin. Use a little logic, boys and girls, brothers and sisters. That means there's still a law. John, writer of the book of Revelations, you know, who knows, he, who got to see all the end times things. So everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who remains in him sins continually. No one who sins continually has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. We've already established righteousness is obeying Torah. Just as he is righteous because he lived it properly. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who has been born of God practices sin, 
because his seed remains in him and he cannot sin continually because he has been born of God. But this is the children of God and the children of devil are obvious or by this. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. If you're not following Torah, you're not of God. Nor the one who does not love his brother and sister. Let me read this one last time. Just that clause. This is John, the Apostle John. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of Yahweh. If you or Yeshua, if you do, what is righteousness? Following Torah. We've already established that using the scriptures, have we not? So if you've thrown the law away, you're not of Yahweh. You will be locked out of the wedding supper. Not my words. Jesus. We will cover all of this in great detail in near future. Now, I told you, don't start thinking I'm teaching works. I am not teaching works. I am teaching relationship and the proper relationship at that. Relationship of the scriptures and of the concepts. You are granted a share in the, the son's inheritance by grace. Your inheritance is you're going to be your eternal life, but also it'll be your citizenship in the kingdom. You get to be in the kingdom. That's where the eternal life comes from. The kingdom is eternal. If you're a citizen in an eternal kingdom, you live forever and ever in fellowship with Yahweh. This is the gift of eternal life in fellowship with Yahweh. Grace is a free, unmerited gift. You cannot earn it. We're going to be needing Charlie in just a minute, so I'm letting him know because he's busy. Grace is better understood as favor, as in Yahweh finds favor in you. This is something Charlie brought up to me. Charlie, you want to expand on this just a little bit in the Hebrew mindset and thinking in the language there? Yeah. Oh boy. This, this, this you, is... you brought up the queen in Ezra, didn't you? Or Nehemiah in that story? It, well, yes, yes, that that's part of it. Um, and it, and it goes even further than that. You can take this and, and, and run down the road because in the Hebrew, hen, hen is the word for favor, but, uh, some believe that it's even derived from the word chesed, which is, um, oh my, how do you explain chesed? Uh, it's often translated as loving kindness. It's it's the it's the love of Yahweh. Yeah, the uh, uh, what do you call it? agape love of yeah. Yahweh? I mean, I don't know how to explain this in English. It's hard. Um, a divine love, yeah, a love beyond yeah, human, beyond beyond our comprehension. Yeah, yes. I guess that's a good way to put that. But favor, in many ways, this is repeated over and over through Hebrew customs, um, because it's it's a lot of times when you're approaching someone of authority. Oh, teach! I have a question. It just don't know. Is this going to be related to Yahweh? didn't necessarily hate Esau and love Jacob, but he favored Jacob. Yes. Is this oh, not yeah. the relationship oh, yeah. of the understanding we're looking at? Yes, it is. He chose yes, it is. Jacob. Yes, it is. Because many times when someone would, would be approaching a, a person of authority, they would say, you know, if I have found favor in your eyes is the Hebrew phrase. Mm -hmm. And this is basically saying, hey, if I've ever done anything acceptable to you and usually this is a pleading mm -hmm. where you're going to be asking this authority or this king for something you know for instance when i believe it was when esther approached the king when you know she was 
going in there. And she should have been killed for that. She could have been been killed over this. She said, you know, if I have found favor in your eyes. I have found grace. Let me have this banquet for you and and everything. And, you know, and, and she worked this. You have to understand from a Hebrew perspective. That this, was bold, th- brave. This, this was bold and brave, but but she, you notice that she didn't make her request at that time. Mm-hmm. She did this banquet. She did all these things in preparation to come before him and say, okay, I want this. So she was doing things to gain this favor that we're talking about. But she still so wasn't earning anything. All she was trying it. to do was she's gain just, that favor. She, she's trying to show her obedience, her, yeah. her, her, um, uh, how do you, how do you explain this? Her, her love and her desires, her love and her, and her trust in yes, her king. Yes. Yeah. Trying to, and uh, he owed her nothing. He could have right. easily had her killed for that. Even in oh, spite yeah, of what yeah, she did. Because, because he was the authority over all this. He had control over this. She had no control over any of this. She was just trying to, you know, do things that would, be you know seen yeah. as is so is her to put a, obedience or put a little bit of a bow on this in the hebrew mind grace still works but in the hebrew mindset it's bigger the, oh yes so yes. we need to make this a bigger thing in our minds than just grace yes it needs to be a bigger thing and it needs to be changed just a touch in the way we look at it it's it's still unearned right but it's just a choice it's just our way yeah. of showing that we want to be part of this kingdom and we're willing to do what it takes to be in that kingdom. Yes. We're trying to show our love and, and our appreciate. Yeah. Oh boy. That, that, there it is. Our appreciation. Showing our appreciation for what that authority has done for us. Oh told you gosh, that dip that, was ahead that's of us. Right I told you dip was ahead of the that's lesson. That's it plan. right there. Yeah. Just Showing like- our, you know, cause that's one thing that irritates me sometimes is, you know, you, you'll do something good for somebody and they don't show any appreciation, you, you know, and then there's others that you do something for them and they'll go out of their way. And you will naturally favor them. Their, exactly. And, and you're, you're more willing but to that, help them again. To put this in a real world. They showed their appreciation. And this will help people who think, well, how can God hate these people? You know, the ones who don't come to him and, and love and how can the bible say he loves all his children and then not love everyone this is easy if you've ever been a parent uh, and you've had more than one child i hate yeah. to say this you favor one oh, over another abs you do yes you I do. do but you love every one of them y- yes yes you love every one of yes. them equally but you In- have a favor for just like for me i've got three dogs i have i love all three of those dogs uh-huh. you know as as you love a right. pet but i do have one i favor over the other two right this is what this is. Now, this is Yahweh favoring those who answer his call. Right. In and his you, way, not your right. own, his way. Right. And, and, you, and you naturally favor those that appreciate the things you do for them because you're, you are in that position of authority in mm-hmm. some way or but manner. But going back to them. the parent, which is why Yahweh right. does so the it, father thing. Right, right. Okay, so you've got a child that you favor and they do everything to make you like them. You can still tell them no, because you set the rules in your house. Right, absolutely. But but that child is more likely when you say no to say, okay, I recognize your authority and I'm not going to do whatever it is you said no about. Perfect. Thank you, Charlie. Oh, beautiful.
That, oh, this, this, this helped me. Yeah, you, you helped bring that home, brother. Thank you. I told you you are going to be a big part of the show today. So Yahweh's favor is extended when you show faith in him. To the Hebrew mind, faith is a verb, something you do. In this case, it's not a ver- it's not a noun. It's not something you have or feel. Faith is something you do. Faith is repentance. Faith is repentance. It is a choice to turn back to the way, Torah, and follow that narrow path of Yahweh's teachings. Follow the Messiah's example. What did the Messiah teach? Repent. Have faith. When you choose to follow Yahweh, you place your whole trust in him. You live your life with the confident expectation, the confident certainty that he will be faithful to keep his promises. And you act in that accord with, with it. You act in accordance with this certain expectation. It's not that, oh, I believe he will. It's that you know he will. That type of faith. This is what it means to be born again. You renounce the fleshly animal nature in you and the ways of this world, and you choose the spiritual by placing your faith in Yahweh and the Messiah. In other words, I no longer live in this earthly kingdom of death. I have crossed over and I am going to live according to the rules of the spiritual kingdom of life. Once you do this and are born again, you die to the old and are resurrected a new person in Messiah. Romans 6, 3 through 11. In other words, you cross over, you Hebrew, from the kingdom kingdom of sin and death to the kingdom of Yahweh and life. Doesn't Paul talk about the law of sin and death? That's the law of Satan's kingdom. However, once you enter into the king's kingdom, you have to start obeying the king's laws. Think of it this way. Grace provides a doorway into the kingdom. Yahweh's favor. Well, who's he going to favor? The Messiah, Torah, is that doorway. So grace put that doorway there. Grace put the Messiah there. Messiah is Yahweh in human flesh and Torah all together. The door is opened by faith. Faith in Yahweh and his Messiah, his word. Trust in him that he will do what he tells you he's going to do and that his ways will lead you in the right path. So he favors those who follow his teachings. Once you enter the kingdom, you are expected to learn to live by the king's rules. True believers will find this easier to do because of the love we have in response to Yahweh's gift of grace and his Messiah's sacrifice for us. It was saying, when we recognize what was done for us on the cross, We love him because he first loved us. We want to be obedient because our father and his son did so much for us. We feel obliged, not out of duty, but out of desire. The law, the Torah, goes from those cold, dead stones into our heart. And we live it. We don't need to be taught all the time. We want to learn it and live it on our own. It is this willing obedience which yields to our works. Coming on the board from Ray 13, When a child loves their father, they obey him. They don't obey to become a son. They already are. Perfect, Ray. Perfect. But this is what yields to your works. Your obedience will yield works, folks. This. There's more. There's more. But this is the basics. This is the basics of our faith. Who is Yahweh? What's his nature? Who is his son? Why? 
And how, what are you, how are you supposed to re respond to all of this? You follow Yahweh's teachings. That's his Torah rule book. His son is the rule book made flesh. Well, it's also him. All of this is him made flesh. And you follow his example. Well, my pastor told me all I got to do is ask him to be my Lord and Savior, say my prayer, get dunked, I'm good. You tell your pastor to come show me that here. All who call on the name of Jesus are going to be saved. Uh-huh, uh-huh, exactly. Charlie, turn on your microphone. What does it mean to call on the Shem of the Torah? Uh -huh. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah, checkmate to somebody who thinks that's just calling on Jesus, the name, yeah. as, you know, just Jesus. When you say that in Hebrew. You're calling on everything calling that's right on, here, aren't you? The whole rule book, because... You, you take this logic that you teach and okay so jesus okay is, living torah is the word mm -hmm. the word is torah so therefore yeah and he's also the father at the same time yes yeah yeah get in the hebrew yeah, mind when you call on that, that yeah, yeah, you yeah. eat it up yes in other words you take it under yourself and you follow it that, that doesn't mean, oh, Jesus is my savior. I've called on his name. I'm good to go. Ah, uh -uh. mm -mm, no. That is not what this is teaching in the Hebrew mindset. Oh, by the way, does, does Yahweh have a favorite child? Nah, that would be his son. Yeah. He, he so loved he, the world too, but so, he sent he? his son. This is my beloved yes. son. Oh, and just something just to throw out there. So. This is what I had for us today. Next week, we're going to take some of those sections. This is an outline for the next few classes, folks. And we're going to take a few of those sections, and I will expand on the passages that interconnect and support what I was teaching you today. I did not pull this out of thin air. This is years of studying the scriptures, looking for other commentary and other people and how they understood it, both Jew and Christian alike, learning the Hebrew, asking Hebrew scholars, living in an interlinear dictionary, this is tons of triangulation. And there reached a point where something clicked in my head. And now when I'll read a subject like this, all the scriptures I need just start flowing. And this man right here can tell you, he's seen me do it. The, the, the passages just start, the fireflies light up in my head. And they interconnect and they, they, they form the picture. They form the mosaic. And what I've just explained to you, that's the basics you need underneath you. I know, brothers and sisters, Charlie knows this is not what's taught in most of our churches. I also know that it was Jesus who says most of those people are going to be told, I never knew you. To know him is to listen and obey, to be righteous. To be righteous is to, I've, I just showed you the scriptures. The Bible defined, the Bible interprets itself, remember? We covered that in a previous class. What do you want to add to this one, Charlie? Well, hold on a second. I'm going to put something up here. <laughs> We're taking flack. <laughs> you both just brought forth an answer to a question I asked Yahweh this morning. Thank you. How are we taking flack, Charlie? Well, I don't know about taking fat flack, but we were over the target. That's, okay, that's that, that was the we're point over, of that one. So we're over the target. <laughs> so, oops, I guess we're fighting each other. Yeah, well, that's okay. <laughs> I got rid of that. 
but is there anything you want to want to say or add before we wrap up did we do okay you think i think we did well and and yeah like you said each of these little snippets here can be a whole because there were lots of other things i had lots of fireflies going off in my head but i'm like okay no no we're that that'd be too deep for today we're just doing an overview but uh yeah there's a lot more and and i mean just talking about that one topic uh lit up some uh, fireflies in my head and clarified my understanding of things still grace through faith yeah it is and and it's just but torah still stands because it's the way to live yeah. in the kingdom and that's just our way of showing appreciation to yahweh for what he's done and the plan he's given us and the kingdom that that we will hopefully enter if we're you know doing as best we can yep all right folks we're gonna start wrapping this one up um couple of little pieces of uh, housekeeping to do and then we'll wrap up first and foremost i was going to do a show friday bb has pointed out bb is my wife also known as she who must be obeyed namely because i favor her and obey her because i want to not because i have to i mean my wife is only she's a little tiny thing i could still is out of shape as i am throw her over my shoulder and walk off with her literally sometimes do anyhow she who has got to be obeyed because I want to obey her because that's how I show that I love my wife says that she wants me to take Friday off. And I said, well, I got to do the show. And she points out, well, that's veterans day. I was like, eh, eh. she goes, it's also your second birthday. And I'm like, oh, that settles it. I got to take off Friday. The Marine Corps may have canceled the birthday ball. I have not canceled the Marine Corps birthday. It's my second birthday. And I'm going to take myself to Olive Garden. It's my tradition. It's what I do. There will be no show Friday. Unless, of course, Charlie wants to come here and do one all on his own because it's not his birthday. I don't even know that the Air Force has a birthday. We do, but it was in September. And, uh, but, you know. But Gummy Bear wants you to take a day off, too. It's Veterans Day, and I'm a veteran. Yes, so you are. Therefore, I'll take it off. All right, too, so we won't so. be here Friday. I mean. But yeah. tomorrow, we're going to learn a little bit more about the history of Israel. So you'll see a little of this, but you're going to see a little bit more of what the secular history is. Tomorrow will be an interesting class for you, for a lot of folks. There's things that they've, you know, and we will end right back in the 1947-48 um, War of Independence for Israel and the 63 War and the 73 War, and all the way through the little skirmishes up to today, excuse me, in the current war, because this one's different. This one is different. Um, we'll explain it. This is important. This is what drives all of recorded human history. This is what's driving this. This goes all the way back to Noah. So tomorrow might be interesting for y'all. We love each and every one of you. We do. This is a labor of love here. This is our service to Yahweh by serving you, our fellow believers and fellow man. Um, we thank you for being here. If you have questions, please email them. Uh, we will answer them. Might take me a little while, but we'll answer them. And when I need to, I get Yahweh. I mean, um, yeah, I do get Yahweh's help. Trust me on that one. But I also asked Charlie for help. He sometimes answers these for me because he's better suited in a lot of ways. I don't think I'm all that in a bag of chips. I know where my failings are. And I ask people, brothers and sisters who are stronger in this, those positions to handle it for me. So if you like what we're doing, please hit the thumbs up buttons. Those are to talk to all three of me, Charlie and Natasha, tell us we're doing a good job. If you really like the show, at least go to Rumble and subscribe, set up an account, subscribe, please. That helps us as well. Um, we'll hit you up for money tomorrow, not today. 
we don't sell the Lord's word. If you like what we're doing and you think it'll help others, please share it with people directly. Send them the link. Don't hope that hitting it on Facebook and sharing it's going to get to people. They throttle this show. We know that as a fact. Um, send it directly. Explain in your own words, whichever way you think necessary about me. When we say I'm an acquired taste, we're not joking. We know it is. We know I am. But for whatever reason, certain groups of people in this world, after a while, tend to like me. I don't know why. They're all crazy as far as I'm concerned, but they do. For me, it's not about me. It's about the information I'm trying to share with you, about the, the threads I hand you, and the, the rabbits I ask you to chase. Because if you'll do it, then the benefit has not got nothing to do with me. You'll make yourself stronger in the process. All I'm trying to do is get you to think for yourself so that you can better take care of yourself and your family and those in your life and around you. And if I can manage to do that in some way, shape, or form, just the least little bit, I'll count that as a success. And I got an email just last night that, once again, very well-timed. And we thank that listener. And uh, apparently we're helping him and his family. I hope things go well for him, given today's show. I know if you like what we're teaching here, especially on Wednesdays, and you bring this to your loved ones in the church, the visible church, you're going to have a rough time. All I can ask you to do is learn to open your scriptures and show it to them. And then just ask them to follow behind it for themselves. I know it's tough. Trust me, I know it's rough. You'll find yourself at war with your pastors. We've got somebody here on this end that is currently in one of those battles. Pastors and family. you got classmates at war with their families over this. I came to set fire to the earth and divide father and son, mother and daughter, by following the Torah. You'll be persecuted for it. Blessed are those who follow his righteousness. And I'll leave you with that, brothers and sisters. If you have anything else, please email us. I'll stay safe. Take care. See you tomorrow. Charlie, when you're done chawjacking over there and yucking it up on the board, you can sign us out of here. <laughs>